Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Georgia, we have one of my favorite attorneys on the phone, Lance LaRusso. Lance is a former law enforcement officer. He's also, he went to night school, went to law school. He's a prominent attorney. His website is LaRussoLawFirm.com. He's written multiple books all around good guy. And by the way, Lance, I was just on your website and I noticed you now have three offices. Yes, we have an office in uh, Columbus, Georgia, and also an office in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, the main office in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Very busy, busy time for you, I'm sure. Yeah, it is a crazy time for all of law enforcement. It is. And without going into specifics, the whole thing in in Minneapolis and the rioting and all the, the stuff that's happening across the United States, very, very stressful with the social media that all the stuff I have to put up it, it is non-stop and I find myself screaming I want a break I want a break from all this insanity and it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon no I mean it just keeps feeding on itself and unfortunately we have um, you know social media fueling the fire it's one of the things that I talk about in the book blue news all the profits from that book go to law enforcement charities is we're not telling our own story enough and because of that there's an information vacuum and one of the reasons the stories don't get told enough by law enforcement is people are working double shifts Um, I talked to an officer the other day who in 36 hours worked 24 of it I I don't know how they do it I really I've been through a lot of bad things in my career and I know you have too. We've talked about them in prior interviews. By the way, you go to letradioshow.com, the Be Heard tab, Law Enforcement Radio Show, and you hear past episodes involving Lance and everybody. I think we've got 200 and almost 20 clips up there now. I think I was only on 219 of them. <laughs> <laughs> this is your third time being on the show. But we've both been through really bad things. And I, I've been through riots before in Baltimore. Um, and they were horrifying times. I've been through extensive situations and incidents involving use of force, including deadly force. And those are horrifying times. And the aftermath is 
it's so intense physically mentally emotionally and legally that it's just nothing like they see on television and it's it's hard to even describe how it is because it's you know the, the it's important to remember what the law enforcement officers are doing there the the bottom line they are there is first to protect individuals and the individuals that are there to protect are the citizens who live there and also the peaceful protesters because they have a first amendment right to protest and they are subject to danger if we remember the tragedy in dallas when five officers were murdered that night the officers were providing security for an anti-law enforcement protest that for all other aspects was relatively peaceful uh... the second reason the officers are there is to protect property and we know and we've known for decades that when you have peaceful protesters showing up you will have people with bad motives uh, anarchists and other groups that will show up and take advantage of the crowd, take advantage of the cameras that are there, and do their best to destroy property. And it's it's been going on for as long as I can remember. And before, I've read his, history reports of anarchists bombing in the early 1900s. It wouldn't surprise me. I, mean, I, I do remember reading a report that there were over 160 bombings in the 1960s. So, there were uh, domestic bombings. So, you know, it, it's a situation where every time you have that combination of people, you have the potential that a group can infiltrate uh, masquerading as otherwise peaceful, peaceful protesters and cause a problem that becomes incredibly difficult to contain. And going back to the early part of this conversation, in spite of everything I've been through and that you've been through, I cannot wrap my head around what our law enforcement officers are going through now in cities like New York, Chicago, Minneapolis, Atlanta, um, places where Atlanta is a good example. They've had a great reputation with the community. They have overcome so many things that were so prominent in the 60s and in my early childhood that to see it happening now, it's heartbreaking. It's kind of, uh, you know, I heard uh, some of the old guys when I started, you know, I was 23 years old, and the old guys who were like 50 uh, <laughs> would would talk about all this crazy stuff in the 70s and what it was like. And now I talk to those folks, and they said, you know, we hoped law enforcement would never have to go back to that. And some of them have actually said it was worse. It's worse now. And that's the thing that really troubles me. I, personally, with the radio show, with the law enforcement face radio show facebook page with all the things i do on social media people want to drag me into the conversation and they'll say things like your silence speaks volumes no it doesn't uh, i've never gotten in trouble for something i didn't say i've never had to walk back something i didn't say i, I was very upset when i saw the video i didn't watch all of it i just like a lot of people want to rush to judgment but I, I'm aware that everybody's in this country is, is given due process and that needs to be ensured. Things like the right to free speech you talked about and the protest needs to be ensured. And like all cops, I believe in that, but I can't stand seeing this nonstop. Yeah, and part of the issue that I, I think if you got everyone, if you could get everyone, you know, in a room and have them not screaming at each other, which seems like it's impossible for anybody to do now, as much as we want bad cops off the street, we want to do everything we can to recruit and keep the good cops. 
And when we start looking at the criticism that takes place, and I talk about this, one of the reasons I wrote When Cops Kill, which is the first book I came out with, was to explain to people what actually happens after an officer involves shooting. There's real investigations that go on. There's detailed analysis that goes on. The officer just doesn't get a buy because they're wearing a badge. As a matter of fact, those investigations, as you've seen, are more detailed and difficult sometimes for the officers than it would be for the average person who, say, happened to... um, happened to, you know, shoot somebody coming into their house. Absolutely, without a doubt. And it, it's it's horrifying being, oversimplifying it. We've had this conversation before when I've had to use deadly force and there is a police report written, the, the person that was shot, didn't matter what he did, is a victim. The person who's a suspect was the officer who fired at him. In that my case, me. And seeing yourself as a, this, the potential suspect, it's a total role reversal and something no one's ever volunteered for that I know of. Yeah, and, and it's kind of uh, when that stuff is said, it's the, a lot of times, this is what I talk about in, uh, in When Cops Kill, a lot of times that's the first time these officers have really considered, but that's the role that they're going to be in, that they are the suspect. And they, they really go through every... Little thing. I know that Hollywood loves to portray this. I know people love to say this thin blue wall of silence that we look the other way all the time. The truth is that doesn't happen, and we'll explain why when we return. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Back to our conversation with Lance LaRusso on the Law Enforcement Today show. Lance is a prominent attorney in Georgia, also in Tennessee, offices in Atlanta, Georgia, Columbus, Georgia, and Chattanooga, Tennessee. Go to LaRussoLawFirm.net. He's a former law enforcement officer, an attorney, and all-around good guy. An author, he's done a lot of great things. Lance, this is such a difficult time and such an emotional time. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, I... I'm an emotional kind of guy. I know guys I worked with in police work who were more laid back. I was more of the firecracker at times. Um, That doesn't mean I didn't measure what I do. And I hear people throwing out, especially on social media all the time now, this term that's so vague and they use it to 
justify all kinds of abhorrent behavior. The term is police brutality. And I have, for one, have gotten so sick of hearing it that every use of force I've ever been in, someone can make the claim that I was excessive or was brutal. Yeah, you know, part of the problem that you run into when you're when you're dealing with the a term like police brutality, first of all, it's kind of why capitalism is you know is is maligned so much. It was defined by its critics. Um, when you look at police brutality, you don't see that term used by anybody in the profession. It's used by people outside the profession who are maligning the profession, and force in and of itself, unjustified force is brutal. And as you know, if you're trying to get control of somebody, or let's say you are running up and someone else is uh, in trouble, what level of force would you use to protect that innocent third party? Well, you'd use as much force as you could lawfully do to stop the attack immediately. And a fundamental issue that people forget is lawful, appropriate, professionally applied, morally appropriate force will never look good on video no it's what people say it's like uh police work is like making sausage you don't want to see it being done and when you have to use force it's i remember being a rookie and it was taught early on number one if you have to use force be quick be decisive and and be finished when it's over with cuff them and it's done and never lie about it but when you wrestle and they do the pity pat stuff, it, it takes longer, it looks worse, and you open yourself up for potential for more injury. But either way, it's going to look bad, no matter what you do. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, the, the fundamental things, because how many times have you heard people say, well, I know that it might be legal, but it looks bad. Well, of course it looks bad. You know, there's no polite way to, to just punch somebody with a closed fist, even though it may be 100% justified. I've seen people, and I did public relations when I was in the police department and things, and I'd seen videos, uh, of course, that was, I'm old, uh, so that was, you know, the first time we were seeing surveillance videos, say, of armed robberies of suspects coming into convenience stores. And occasionally an ATM video or a convenience store video would show a, uh, a business owner or a victim shooting back. Well, that doesn't look nice either. No. And if you start and stop that video after the initial force is used, it's very easy to make the person lawfully using force to look like the primary aggressor. And that's another thing that's been always crazy. You know, the, the, we talk about de-escalation, which, by the way, is an outcome, not a tactic, but people don't seem to understand that. You know, you can de-escalate a situation by yelling loudly at somebody if that stops whatever their action is, so you can either get their attention or stop what they were doing. But the other issue that we deal with is, you know, the escalation of something. Well, the police showed up in riot gear, and that escalated things. No, there's no way to escalate peaceful protesters into rioters. They are at opposite ends of the spectrum. They do their parallel lines. They do not have anything to do with each other. And when you start saying the reason there was a riot is because police showed up ready to protect those protesters because they got intel that bad guys were going to show up, it's just nonsensical. It really is. You know, in Ferguson, um, in Blue News, I interviewed uh, the person who was in charge of all the law enforcement operations in Ferguson. And there was a big thing in the media when the officers moved from uh, campaign hats to Kevlar helmets. Well, 
there were rioters who were freezing pint-sized water bottles during the day and throwing them at officers at night. Well, that's like getting hit in the head with a brick. Right. And during the day, when the media is out there and they can actually see what's on the ground, it's August. All the bottles have melted. Yeah. Is it just me, or do you agree that the media gets played? They're, they're like an, uh, an unwilling participant. Yeah, I mean, I talk about this in Blue News. They they are deadline-driven. They're in a competition-driven industry, and it, it hampers them sometimes. And I know a lot of reporters. I, a lot of journalists really, really try to get it right. But they're trying to get information out, and there are people who know how to play them. There are people who know how to push buttons. They know how to people who can manipulate things. And they're also bounded by time. So in the time that it takes you to explain why you used force, we've already gone through the weather, the headlines, and we're at a commercial. We don't have time for all that. No. And, and then when you look at them in com- competition with each other to be the first out, a lot of times they don't have time to vet stories. And it's the headlines that sell. It's not the details that sell the story. Well, and it's interesting you, you mentioned that because we talk about this in Blue News when you look at a reporter, and I've had officers call me just furious. Well, you know, the the report isn't bad, but look at the headline. Well, the reporter who interviewed you, even if they were 100% fair, they don't write that headline. That headline's written by a copy editor. And I've seen situations where the reporter called me and was furious about the headline, but they have no control over it. No, and I lost sight of that. I've gone through that before in the past. And uh, even more so now, it seems to be an issue with the 24-hour cable news networks where they're constantly hitting the headlines, constantly. It is something that's being covered, and, and it, you know, people have made a joke about it, said, what happened to COVID? Did that go away? No, it didn't go away. But that's what the public is interested in. And I firmly believe we would not have a country with the, without the First Amendment or the Second Amendment. And when we look at the First Amendment, they have a right, and they have an obligation, and they have a moral code, and they have ethics rules as well. And I, you know, I, I wrote them all down in Blue News for people to read. We couldn't survive without a free media. But at the same time, we have situations where there is so much criticism without taking a second. So you have an officer involved in a situation, and instead of saying, you know, that officer's got a lot of gray hair on their head. I wonder if they've been doing this a long time. Now, yeah, you could have some bad apples that routinely were kept around and, and should have been fired, but there is no benefit of the doubt anymore to law enforcement. And, you know, I've, asked, I've had reporters ask me all the time, you know, are you saying there's no such thing as bad cops? It's like, no, every profession has bad actors. But I can tell you, I've been involved in one way or another since 1987, and I have never seen a bad cop arrested by a journalist or a politician. Absolutely never happens. And by the way, there's bad teachers, there's bad priests, there's even bad attorneys who do horrible things. We'll talk about that and more when we return. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page 
Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Back to our conversation with Lance LaRusso. Website is LaRussoLawFirm.net. He has offices in Atlanta, Georgia, Columbus, Georgia, and in the Nuga, as they say, Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> He's a former law enforcement officer. He's written four books, uh, a great guy, an expert in use of force. And when I talk about busy attorneys, this, you, I'm sure, are very busy, even more so than normal. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been getting hit pretty hard lately. Uh Last year, uh, we worked several officer-involved shootings. I think we had a record number in 2018. Uh, you know, there's we keep letting bad people out of prison, and the more we start dealing with situations where it's acceptable to threaten officers, to say things on social media. Uh, you know, I'm looking at a post that somebody sent me before we started. Somebody had a, um, a rifle laid out with a bunch of magazines and said, I'm going to go find me some cops. You know, we tolerate that, and then we wonder why people are attacking law enforcement. And it's not a secret. We've, we've established, conclusively established, that the rhetoric about law enforcement has caused officers to be murdered just for wearing the uniform. And it doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon. Lance, in my career in the Baltimore Police Department, I was shot at four different times. Uh, the first two... I knew immediately, instinctively, returning fire was not the, the correct course of action for, for many different reasons. The second two were absolutely totally different affairs. And one of them, just very quickly, uh, a guy committed armed robbery, murdered the victim as a commercial beauty salon, and then stole their Corvette. And came back to the Corvette later on and was trying to elude police and I was blocking the way, and he was shooting me with a forty-five, and I was an old Chevy Caprice, and he hit me head on, and then we had a running gun battle. And I didn't know, uh, he's trying to reload. I didn't know at the time, I'm in the middle of the street with no cover, I'm thinking, I got a revolver, and I got not, I got two shots left, and I don't know if I've hit him. So I ran up and I tackled him, he's having a hard time reloading. And I didn't realize the time is because I'd shot him in the wrist. So that's why he couldn't reload it. What I'm getting at is at that moment when that was occurring, it was like a Stephen King movie scene. It was horrible. And I'm sure it looked horrible to everybody involved, but I would have done anything to survive. And I didn't know this guy from Adam. I never met him before. And no matter how you portray it, it would have been horrible looking. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, and, and you know, the other thing, it depends on which angle. If people couldn't see him trying to reload and only saw you rush at him, then you look like the aggressor who just didn't stand back and wait. And, and, and the truth is, I don't know why I did what I did that at that moment. If you asked me then, I couldn't even tell you. Uh, it, it was, we didn't have body cameras back then. We didn't have all that stuff. And when you're questioned later on, it's like, what happened? I really don't know. I was going to do what it took to survive and it's it's part of me that, and I'm sure you've encountered some other officers. You go from being a good guy in your mind, you you obey all laws, you're there to protect, you're there to serve, you do all these things, and now you're in a life and death situation, and a very primitive part of you comes out where I'll do whatever it takes to survive. And 
you said earlier in the conversation, it's always going to look bad. And, you know, it's interesting. I remember teaching, uh, working with a friend to teach some uh, defensive tactics classes, basically for women. It was, it was uh, it, I think they called it rape prevention or uh, physical uh, attacks. I forget what they called it. But we actually used a red man suit. And when I say red man, I can imagine that uh, a bunch of people in your listening audience are starting to, uh, their pulses are starting to go up and they're starting to have flashbacks. Nobody likes fighting with the red man. Actually, there's always one in a group who likes fighting with the red man. Um, but we would put on a red man suit, and these women would attack us full speed, and we would attack them full speed. And you would see people who got a little bit of training, and they would hit these people full force with a strike or a knee or a kick. And an elbow, even through those pads, would hurt. And some of them were scared. To your point about, you know, it's almost a primal instinct, some of them were scared. It's like, I don't know where that came from. So, well, it came from the fact that you want to survive. And several of those women we were training were rape survivors. They were going through this, so they were never a victim again. Um, but even though they had mentally committed themselves and they had been taking training for weeks before they fought with the Red Man, it scared them as to how deep within themselves they had to come with that desire to stay alive. But when police do that, the term that people love to throw out there is police brutality. And... It's so easy to paint it that way that that's a horrible thing. And I'm not bringing up, I'm not saying certain cases wasn't brutal, all right? I'm talking about this overall concept. And this is one that I find deeply offensive. And I'll be honest with you, when people bring it up, I wind up getting really angry and I, I, I want to lash out at them. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's a tough thing to hear. And what's interesting, there's so much... So much misinformation, and, and I'll say misinformation. If I say ignorance in the traditional sense, ignorance just means a lack of knowledge, but people have taken it to say something bad. But I have conversations with people occasionally. You know, I go to parties, cocktail parties, things like that, before the zombie apocalypse, and we could actually do that. And I would sit there and listen to somebody talking to me, well, why don't officers do this, that, and the other thing? Why did an officer use a taser when somebody had a knife? And it just harkens me back to Graham versus Connor, where nine Supreme Court justices in 1989 turned around and said, we're going to judge law enforcement officers from the reasonable officer perspective because they know and do things that the public doesn't do. And, you know, what amazing wisdom at that point and how much we're really seeing how true those statements are. And it is a threshold that's different. For example, and again, I'm not going to go into specifics. When I watch certain videos, I go, wow, that, what, what, were the, what were they thinking? What was going on? Then other ones go, well, that's totally reasonable. And all of them are horrible to see. And it, it's, by the way, for those listening, I don't like to watch these videos. I try my best to avoid dash cam and body cam videos because I find them to be very, very upsetting. And that's after years and years of police experience. Yeah, because you know what's happening inside that officer's skin. And, you know, I, I've, I said one time that there's a heart behind every one of those badges. And I had a journalist kind of look at me and going, you know, I've never heard anybody phrase it that way. It's true. You know, you, you criticize the person behind the badge, and you look at their actions over and over and over again in a situation that took a split second in low light where they didn't have all the benefit of the hindsight that you have, 
and you not only criticize their actions, but you make a, a value judgment about what's in their heart and what's in their head. And a lot of those things take a very long time to, if, if it's even able to be done, to present that information to the public. We're going to take a short break in a few moments, and when we return, we're going to talk about how some of these city governments, these police commissioners, police chiefs, mayors, whatever they might be, can do a better job at, at phrasing the message about what happened. Because I'm a firm believer in a lot of the reaction lance to what we see can be mitigated to some degree by being proactive and telling a more complete story of what occurred. Um, this is the Law Enforcement Today show. We are talking with Lance LaRusso. Lance is an attorney in uh, the Georgia area. He has three offices. He's got one in Atlanta, Georgia, one in Columbus, Georgia, and one in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's also a former law enforcement officer and author. A uh, great guy, a use force expert, and much more. His website's LaRussoLawFirm.net. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We're a short break. We will be right back. All too often, we find ourselves getting asked, where can I find other great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Because of this, we decided to create our own network of podcasts here on Law Enforcement Today. You can access top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and free app. Head to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you will find our network link where we will continue to add podcasts from first responders and more. Remember, that's letradioshow.com to find out more information about law enforcement today, our podcast network, and to download our free app, letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Show, returning to our conversation with Lance LaRusso. We are talking about police brutality. We're talking about the use of force, how it always looks bad. By the way, Lance is an attorney. He's also a former law enforcement officer. Get more details about him at LaRussoLawFirm.net. Before we went to break, Lance, we're talking about use of force always looks bad. Uh, it doesn't matter what shooting, taser, uh, closed fist, hands-on, whatever terminology people want to use, it's always going to look bad. And the media is going to run with it. It's going to be headline news. It's going to be all over the news. And I believe in certain situations, if the cities, the counties, the state government, whoever it might be, the police chief, the administration takes a more proactive role and starts telling people what happened, that it can mitigate some of the effect. Am I off base on that? No, it's a basic principle of public relations. If you don't tell your story, someone else will. And that's one of the things that law enforcement has suffered from. And in Blue News, we talk about that a lot. And I've had people resist it a little bit, but now they're starting to realize if you don't get on there and talk about all the good things your officers do every day, and they do, and if you don't get off of this idea that, well, they're just doing their jobs, why should we brag about it, then you're not going to get that credibility when the community says, well, how come you're not involved in the community? And say, well, no, we are. So we'll prove it. You know, law enforcement officers that I've met, I've met more Little League coaches and football coaches and youth pastors in law enforcement than 
anywhere. I really have. And, you know, those law enforcement officers that do that do it on their own time. They sacrifice tremendously to take those opportunities to be part of the community. And they don't get credit for it a lot of times because it's just not advertised. Now, I think a lot of agencies are coming back and doing that. The Georgia Department of Natural Resources, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, Kentucky State Police, uh, the uh, the Bangor, Maine Police Department, they really own social media. And here's the beautiful thing that may make every law enforcement administrator happy. It's free. That doesn't cost anything. Yeah, you just uh, have yeah. to do it. Because money's always an issue. And by the way, Bangor, Maine Police Department, their Facebook page is phenomenal. Oh, it's hilarious. My wife and I will just read their stuff and just laugh. I think they have a segment they call Wanted Wednesday or something. And whoever writes it is just, you don't have to be in law enforcement to enjoy it. Check it out. Uh, by the way, just look for Bangor, Maine, uh, Facebook page. One of the things that comes up is, is when there, you said, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. And I, I love, and I say that sarcastically, that people will always infer a negative when there's a question. Well, why haven't they arrested him? And then it's like the poignant pause. Is it because there's a conspiracy? Well, and it's also the, the we're talking about the people being naive. So let me give you an example. We have people that screech, scream out and say, we want this officer fired immediately. Dumbest thing you could do Absolutely. when an officer does something wrong is fire him immediately. Absolutely. Because if you fire him immediately, you can't, as an agency, force them to give you a statement under Garrity. Now, people say, well, what's Garrity? They say, well, Garrity is the reason why you shouldn't shoot your mouth off. If you want to know if there's a systemic problem in the department, if you want to know if there is a training issue, if you want to know it's just a fault of your hiring and you never should have put this person in a uniform, that's why you do internal affairs investigations. But we have people that scream and holler and say they want someone fired immediately, and you lose all the ability to get that information. You're absolutely right. And someone asked me that at the radio station I work at. Well, why didn't they arrest them immediately? I said, here's why. Number one, they said, well, why didn't they fire them first? I said, well, when you fire them, you, you, you can't compel them to show up and, for a statement or anything. Number two, when you arrest them, doesn't matter what agency we're talking about, what incident, doesn't matter. When you arrest anybody, you have Miranda warnings, Miranda rights. First one is you're right to, right to remain silent. You don't have to say anything. Number two, you get an attorney. And I love it, love you, Lance, but when attorneys get involved, all conversation ceases. Well, and a lot of times, there's a good reason for that. Yeah, you know, when I you have an agree. officer who's facing a criminal charge, a lot of times the, the attorney's default is don't say anything. Absolutely, and I'm not I'm not disputing that at all. But when people say there's an inference of some sort of conspiracy where they're not talking, just in Milwaukee, for example, or not Milwaukee, Minneapolis, because they weren't arrested and where they were fired, but it's being mishandled. And these men and women, I think, my hats off to the Atlanta police chief. At least she had the thought and the courage to get on camera and talk with people and so many of these other people are not are not doing that well i can tell you uh i do have to take some offense to that uh or say take a contrary position because she also fired two officers without doing an investigation i agree yeah well that's the part that uh, i don't i don't like um what do you suggest that these police administrators do when they have something bad happens the first thing they need to do is start with a premise you recruited this person you hired this person to the exclusion of other applicants. You trained this person. 
you brought them up in your department. So if they've made a mistake, it could be an individual mistake. It could just be you had somebody up for 20 hours and they did something that was dumb. Or it could be that your training is bad. It could be that your screening is bad. Or it could be that you're looking at it the wrong way and they didn't do anything wrong. And I think we start from this perspective that, you know, if there's something done wrong, then the officer should immediately be uh, terminated or whatever. But when you look at that from a perspective of the bigger picture, all of these folks need to be fired. You know, that NBC in fall of 2016 said there was a two thousand that there was a 90% drop in law enforcement recruiting in some places. Yeah. No one's lining up around the block to be law enforcement officers, and these protests aren't helping. And the other end of the spectrum are the people with the 20 years that can go ahead and sign the documents and walk out the door, and the danger is on the way out they're telling their families and their friends and their neighbors not to go into law enforcement. I think we're about five years away from a a serious crisis. I think the tipping point is very, very near. And people, they're, they're so disillusioned. I saw a guy at a sign, I'm sure you've seen this, he is carrying a sign at some protest, some news is covering, it says abolish the police. And then what? Exactly. They don't have a, well, when this is, when we get rid of the police department, we defund the police, they don't have a, then we go do this. It's just like, I want them all gone. Well, and the other part of it is, if you don't like the law enforcement officers that are there right now, wait until you see the second string, when we can't hire people to pass a background check. And that's really, really frightening, because if you have a, a, a family emergency, let's say a medical emergency at, at 11.30 at night, and you dial 911, the first person there is usually a police officer, not the fire department, not an EMT, uh, because of the way they're dispatched and uh, housed and all this other stuff. The roving patrol is the first one there. And if you don't like what you've got now, like Lance said, imagine what the second stream is going to be like. Yep, I got you. And that's one of the things that we were talking about. So if you need an escape, you know, we have other books that you can escape to. It's kind of my escape from all this craziness is writing. So... You know, we talked about the uh, the book uh, Hunting of Men that's come out. Uh, we uh, That's at huntingofmen.com. It's about a young uh, detective who starts out in homicide and gets, uh, gets his hands on a cold case murder of a law enforcement officer. And you could imagine, both of us worked in police departments, you can imagine what a cold case murder of a law enforcement officer would do. In the middle of it, he winds up uh, discovering a sex trafficking ring, and we learn a lot about him, and he learns a lot about himself. So we're very excited about that book. It's selling well, and I, I think your your readers would enjoy it. I was talking to uh, someone the other day, and they said, you know, what's are, are you Johnny Till, who's the main character? I said, no, Johnny's much better looking and smarter than I am. <laughs> I said, you know, if you have a desire to read the same old hackneyed, uh, you know, expression of the homicide detective who's drunk all the time and can't get along with anybody and can't maintain a relationship – well, go read something else. If you want to know how actual crimes are solved and how funny cops are that you work with and how diverse they are and what they're like uh, when they're working and what they're like when they're off, then this is a good book for you. The Hunting of Men, is that what it's called? Just Hunting of Men. Yep. Hunting of Men. That's your latest one. This is a novel. The other ones are more uh, reality. Yeah, we've got uh, the nonfiction is um, When Cops Kill and Blue News. And then we have a couple of fiction books, Peacemaking, which is about a cop's walk with Christ. I have an anthology of short stories called Parallax, and we are just releasing, actually the first show to talk about it, um, a book called uh, Firefighters in the Hot Seat. It's a book for firefighters about uh, OPS slash internal affairs investigations. 
Thanks so very much for being a guest on the show. Get more details about Lance online. His website is LaRussoLawFirm.net. Again, thanks so very much. Thanks for having me, and thanks for what you do. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Thank you.